This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Welcome to Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. This is our first live Ask a Death Doula podcast. I am so excited to be here with you. We are always trying to find a way to support community, families, doulas with education and answering their questions. We get so many emails from people into doulagivers.com and doulagivers international that we really wanted to have as many platforms as possible to help support and educate. And one of the things is that we get a lot of different questions about different things. So we wanted to come on, do the live education and answer questions that have been emailed in about the subject matter, or also just um, answering your questions as you have a place to come on live to answer and ask questions for a specific topic or anything to do with end of life. And this is your forum. So my name is Suzanne O'Brien. I am a registered nurse who's worked most of my nursing career in hospice care, which is end of life care and or oncology care. And most of you know me that I am the creator of the International Doula Givers Institute, the end of life doula training. Um, has been a movement and hugely popular, not just in the United States, but worldwide. So welcome to the podcast. This is Ask a Death Doula. It is your live Q&A. This is going to be every Thursday and Friday, depending on traveling schedules. It will be either Thursday or Friday at 12 o'clock Eastern time. The recordings will be put up live on Tuesday, the following Tuesday. So welcome. And today we're going to have a very interesting topic, something that has, again, come up quite often. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. And we are going to explore this very important subject. And this is called VSED. VSED stands for Voluntarily Stopping Eating and Drinking. And I'm also going to put the chat box on for the live version to make sure that everyone can go ahead and um, ask questions live as we are going through the presentation. Fantastic. Okay. So voluntarily stopping eating and drinking, known as VSED, is a relatively new um, option for people at the end of life. And... This is something that is gaining popularity amongst community, amongst patients, and we want to really explore again, explain what VSED is, when might it be an option or something that you want to consider? Is it legal? Is it not legal? Um, how does one, what does the process look like? And how, what does one have to do to put things in place to actually have a VSED? experience. So what is VSED? Let's first go ahead and figure out what is exactly VSED. So VSED stands for Voluntarily Stopping Eating and Drinking. I really had thought about the same type of concept 
years ago called No Food for Thought. And that's really kind of what I'm going to title a lot of our education. No Food for Thought, because that's really what it is. And organically at the end of life, we turn, we have our swallowing reflexes turned off or our desire to eat turned off or both. Um, and that's a natural way that the body starts to shut down. What it's saying is that I'm not absorbing the nutrients anymore. I don't need nutrients anymore to do work because I'm not doing work, I'm shutting down. And it's actually a natural way, it's a natural process. So V said, in essence, is that natural process? It's just helping it to be implemented a little sooner. And when we get to the point that we're gonna talk about when it is a viable option. We're gonna talk about the pros and cons to everything. I don't think that any decision is without, um, not consequences, but without, you know, follow through, the follow through to them. And so you really wanna think things out thoroughly, not just for you, but for your family. And also for me, and I'm gonna share my personal opinion, when is something like V said, a healthy option for you. So VSEN stands for voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. It is an intentional decision to stop drinking liquids and eating food for the specific purpose of causing death. It does not refer to stopping food or fluids provided by means of a feeding tube or situations in which a patient has no appetite or is unable to eat or drink due to the illness or disease. Time until death depends on a patient's underlying physical condition and disease state, but typically takes place within five to 21 days, with the median time of death occurring in seven days after implementation. The cause of death is dehydration. So let's, let's dive in there a little bit and talk about some of these things. So this is the definition of VSET, and it's a good one. It's really crystal clear. So the first part of that is really emphasizing that it is a decision on a person's, uh, their own decision to stop taking in food or fluid with the intention of having an end of life process. Um, so, you know, again, we're gonna talk about when this is a viable option and when it isn't. This is a natural way that the body will have an end of life process running its course of physical disease. And, the um, other things that are extremely important here is that for me, there are, because people will say, how long does it take? And this is really important. There is no one size fits all with end of life. There's no one size fits all that you can say, okay, definitely in seven days, this is gonna be over. In fact, most people that I'm hearing about that have been doing this, it takes on the close side to two weeks. So 10 days to two weeks. So I always wanna prepare families for the long haul of things. And if it's um, less then that's great too, but we wanna be overly prepared, overly educated as much as we can with all of these instances. So why is this important to understand? Because everyone's body is different. So it depends on how healthy your heart is, how healthy your organs are. What is your actual disease process? Somebody who's suffering from a um, cancer that is all over and their body is already really compromised with disease will have a shorter time period doing the V-set because their body is already on its, really on its way to the end of life. Somebody who has a dementia where their brain is affected but their body is all intact and depending on their age and their healthy state, 
will take longer. So again, there's no one size fits all. I have really, with the families that I have worked with that I have seen this with, it is really nearing the two week, the 10 day to two weeks. So I want to prepare people for the long haul. So um, it depends on the actual time of death. It's going to depend on many different variables, but it typically takes between anywhere between five to 21 days with in this, um, documentation, the median death occurring in seven days. Mm, that's maybe if you do some pre, um, kind of reducing the calories pre, and again, it, does, it depends on the disease process. The, the actual cause of death is going to be listed as dehydration. So that is very important. And we're going to talk about dehydration. And we're going to talk about um, what the symptom management is with VSED along the way. So we're really going to explore today, I'm having a little coffee, um, we're going to explore today about all of the pros and cons and answer any questions that you have. So the first one is, is this legal? Can I do that? Can I stop eating and drinking by choice and, and have, as a result, my life end? So to answer your that question is, yes, it is legal. In 1990, the Supreme Court ruled that a person has the authority to refuse medical treatment that would sustain their life. So if somebody, again, we you can do this in a couple of different um, examples. If somebody has a disease process and they can't eat anymore and the only way that they are going to be able to eat is through a feeding tube, do they have the right to refuse that feeding tube? And the, the court in 1990, the Supreme Court ruled yes. And this goes to and includes, I have the right to refuse oral food and liquid. That's my right. Now, things you really need to know here is that the patient who decides to do this has to be of sound mind, clear, sound mind. And that is from a legal standpoint that is in really critically important because, and we're going to talk in a bit about the um, maybe appropriate scenarios and appropriate disease processes. This, this might be a choice that people want to end a little bit sooner. And one of them is dementia and Alzheimer's. And so we know that the brain is severely affected with that. And so they're not a clear sound mind as that to disease progresses. So how do we kind of use VSED within those scenarios? So it has to be that a person that's going to start the VSED process is able to say, yes, I want this. I am deciding this. They have to be of clear mental state. So is it legal? Absolutely is. Um, the issue that we're having with just so many things is the, you know, that there's a whole right to die movement. And it's very interesting because people assume from the work that I do and the advocacy that I am an absolutely on board right to die um, supporter. And I have to say I'm not because I don't think people have enough information. They don't. Most of the right to die people who want that medication, the right to die is a pill and it's only available in I think five states at this point, is a pill that you can take that can end your life. Um, there's so much more that goes along with end of life that you can't just um, not do your work and take a pill and then it's over. 
there's a process to end of life. And the number one fear of people that want that right to die is that they don't want to suffer. They don't want to be in pain. And there's so many ways that hospice can keep you comfortable if pain is an issue. So I think that's the lacking education and we don't want to jump right to, we want to help people alleviate their fears, not just quick fixes on things because actually it's not really a quick fix anyway. So for this, um, there's a whole bunch of talk about doctors and hospices supporting the VSED patient. And it's kind of like this. And then the reason that we're doing this podcast, the reason that I am talking about VSED is because so many people have come to me, families, patients, community members, wanting to explore this option. So for my doulas, I have to really be crystal clear on what the VSED process is and what their role is within the VSED process. Um, it's not a simple thing to go through. It, it needs lots of preparation, lots of thought processes. And I think it's going to become a really viable um, and wanted option. So we really want to explore it so that people, again, could have the um, most empowered information to decide for them and also if they go ahead to want to do it to set it up. So right now, uh, yes, it's legal to take that option, but you also need, in my opinion, and, oh, and this is a stamp of approval for how I would lay out a VSED um, process, is that you have to have a hospice that supports VSED and or a medical doctor that supports VSED for your comfort, for emergencies, for anything during that process. 24-7. So let's just stick with, is it legal? Yes, it's legal. It is slow moving that hospices are on board to support the VSED. I tried to get a statement um, from the National Hospice Organization and they don't have one as of yet on their stance on VSED. So, um, okay, but it is legal and there are hospices that will support it and there are hospices that won't support it. So how does VSED actually work? The exact process of dying from VSED will not be the same for every individual. It's going to be different for all different people. Despite being intentionally used to hasten death, the dying process experienced by VSED is a natural one. So we started out by saying that this is actually stopping eating and drinking is a natural way that the body will shut down organically at the end of life. This is bringing it about a few weeks, a few months earlier, based on your quality of life and your disease process and your circumstances. Natural. It is a natural process. So that is, I think, super important to hold on to. In the first few days after stopping intake of food and fluids, individuals will retain their energy levels for physical activity, but will soon become weak. Once they begin to feel weak, movement requires assistance in order to prevent falls and accidents. Weakness or dizziness may occur suddenly, which is why 24-hour support is recommended once the individual begins the fast. Mental alertness is replaced by longer and longer periods of sleeping. In many cases, individuals eventually remain in a coma state during the final stage of death. In some cases, individuals have periods of alertness throughout the process up until death. The dehydration from VSED affects the kidneys and the heart and each organ system in the body begins to shut down. Again, this is naturally how end of life is. This is bringing it about by you deciding to stop eating or drinking and 
within that, there are safety measures, there are symptom management measures, there is that when is the actual death process going to occur? That's kind of the variable, the big variable there. So we wanna make sure we have everything in place um, for somebody to be supported and a family supported in that journey of VSED. When is VSED a viable option? So here I put, you are free to choose, but you are not free from the consequences of your choice. Okay, so that was just, it's a little bit of a statement, but it's really important to understand that there are no quick fixes. There are no decisions without actions to the decision, the, the ripple effect of decisions. Um, there's no, again, there's no quick answer. And this, I think, is something that this statement is really a wonderful statement for um, the right to die. Because people have to be ready for end of life. And there's organic processes of things that we put in place before we actually have our end of life experience. You can't quickly implement that and don't think that's gonna have massive repercussions for people. So when is VSED a viable option? I will tell you in my opinion that the degenerative diseases, the ones that leave you with absolute no quality of life, suffering um, and pain and all of that are the ones that I feel like this is absolutely a great option. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this obviously and we are plagued by dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, that is a cruel, cruel disease that can last up to 14 years. Physically, emotionally, financially, it's just unbelievably difficult. Two people that I personally know before I was even a nurse, two people that I knew through family got Alzheimer's. One man was a lovely dentist, um, really brilliant, wonderful, got Alzheimer's and lived for years completely petrified of everything and everyone, including his beautiful wife, who had, was the sweetest person. He had a type of dementia that he was paranoid and fearful and didn't recognize anyone for years he lived in that state. And he would have been, first of all, it was just a torture state to live in, his being fearful of everything. And he would have been just horrified at, at that for himself, not to mention all of the cost of care. I'm not really concerned with cost for decision-making on this. That's just a side note, um, but it is 24 care for Alzheimer's patients and dementia at the end or the, and on the caregiver, it's, it's really intense. That should not be the factor with making this decision. The factor should be quality of life and suffering. And so this man who again ended up in just a petrified state for years upon years. And then the other person that I knew from within the family was a woman who was really um, a very intense, proud, successful woman who at the end was in a nursing home and on all fours on the floor barking like a dog from her dementia. And she would have been horrified. So, and these went on for years. So quality of life, when you have none, when you know that that's the path you're going down. Other diseases like Parkinson's disease, um, Lewy body dementia, you know, these degenerative diseases that will gradually take your quality of life to nothing and pain and suffering to the highest. 
um, are some of the ones that, in my opinion, are absolutely, um, this is a very viable choice for. Now, there's other things like, let's say somebody has really advanced cancer that metastasizes all over and people are spoon feeding them meals. And when you, when you have just a little bit of liquid and food, you can keep going for weeks and weeks and even months and they have really no quality of life and they're suffering. And if they wanted to decide that at this point, they just don't want to have any more food, that is something that we should respect and uphold and understand completely because they are on their end of life path. It's just that their quality of life again is at a minimal and the food and the fluid is what's sustaining them. And this is probably the most acute hard time of pain and suffering that they don't have any value, see any value in. So those are the time periods um, where this is a really wonderful, again, natural, viable option that you're implementing a bit sooner. Let's talk about dementia and Alzheimer's. So we said before, that is this legal? It has to be legal if you have your mentation, that you're clear, sound mind, that I can describe this, tell you why I want it, and make that decision. So how do we do that when we have dementia and Alzheimer's? Well, we have to talk about this ahead of time. Um, and if we get diagnosed with something and our memory is starting to fail and somebody says you have Alzheimer's disease and I get to that point where I'm slipping into the memory loss and I want to take this option. It has to be in that window of opportunity. These are decisions and conversations that should be done way before we ever get there so that we know we cannot implement or support somebody in this at this time when they are advanced and don't have the ability to share in what they would want or not want. So, I mean, that's a very, very significant fact. We are always going to stay on the upside of everything legal when we talk about this and when we share with the doula's role in this, but that's something that you need to consider. So people have to do those specific advanced directives for Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, but this is something, again, that has to be done within the window of opportunity where, where they're in and out and not completely without being able to share um, that they want this option. So um, I hope I explained clearly what I personally feel are viable options. I think this should be a very late option and process that just allows the person to prevent going into absolute periods of suffering and no quality of life and no dignity. And sometimes that's just going to be a few weeks, maybe a few months, um, depending on their disease process. Preparation is key. So you cannot be overly prepared because I always over-educate, in my opinion, all my doulas, everything we could possibly learn because I want you to be able to pull from um, your toolbox when you're in situations because, yes, we can plan out these things as well as we know how to, but end of life does not work like that. You need to be uh, fluid and flexible. You need to be assessing every time. There's going to be things that come up for whatever reason. So you want to have a really great solid foundation and then again, um, be able to deal with things as they might show up. So preparation is key. Let's talk about a few of the things that you really need to know for preparation for the said process. The first thing is legally. So legally, you have to have an advanced directive, healthcare proxy, all of the legal paperwork done with specific choices that you are choosing and why are you choosing. And I would even go a step further and have that on videotape. 
I would tape the patient, the person that wants to do this, explaining that they understand the process, why they're choosing the process, um, and that it's of their choosing, okay? So that there's no wiggle room when somebody can come back. End of life is a very interesting thing that people right now, especially because we're so removed from it, there's a lot of anger and misdirected anger and confusion that comes from family members surrounding um, the death of a loved one. So you want to make sure that everything is legal and protected. So you would want to have those advanced directives done clearly, have the healthcare proxy, everything notarized and signed depending on what state you live in. Um, I would even, I guess, even in this early stage, just make sure you can even have a, a, a lawyer, you know, eyeing your advanced directive just to put another extra layer on it. And I would go to heaven and have that videotape made for the, from the person. Number two, emotionally, do your end of life work first. This goes across the board. So end of life has an interesting, beautiful, organic way that we process. We process what went on in our lives. We process um, finding the meaning to our life's journey, dealing with past regrets, coming to terms with forgiveness, giving it, receiving it, saying goodbye to those we love, leaving remembrances. This is all critically important to that positive end of life. And it organically happens in that end of life phase, especially when you have doulas supporting you in that journey, in that process, answering questions, making you feel safe, allows you to go through the three phases of end of life. If you are going to do something, and this, this goes for the right to die as well, which again, I'm very hesitant and wary of, I actually am, because I don't feel that you need to take that pill, that measure. Um, when your symptoms become too much for quality of life, you're given enough medication that you will be sleeping most of the time, so you won't be seeing that. But this work part is critically important to the whole positive end of life period, especially for a person who's going to, again, hasten their death with refusing food and liquid. You have to know that you have to prepare. You have to support your caregivers, your family. You have to do your own work before you go into this. Once it's started, it will take a few days and the person will go into a sleep coma. There's no, there's no conversation. There's no work that's going to be done after that with that wonderful patient. So we want to put everything out there before we go into that place. So doing our work again, regrets, working with past regrets, working with forgiveness, having those conversations, those last conversations with our loved ones, thanking them, you know, thank you for what you given to me, leaving legacies, making sure everything is in place for when that process is going to be started. Physically, so there are supplies, and this is the big thing to know, is that we want to know what the symptom management is with VSET. And again, it's going to be very similar if you are a death doula to when your patient goes into their transition phase. The parchness, the dehydration, um, wanting to use those sponges for mouth cleaning, wanting to use mouth lubricant to keep moist because that's the parchness is going to be one of the biggest um, symptoms that you're going to manage. There could be agitation. There could be discomfort. Um, so you want to make sure that there's medications that are available, those sublingual medications that we use. And so having a hospice and or a doctor, and I'm going to say hospice because you want somebody 24-7 that you can reach out to and hospice supplies that. You need them. 
You need them to be available a phone call away in case there's something that arises, and it might. Um, and also for the extra support. So you want to find a hospice that is in your area that supports the VSET option, that you can talk about it. They will deliver the medications to your home. They will bring the supplies in, the mouth swabs. Um, you might have to get your own mouth lubricant. That's okay. These things are available, and you want to have them at the ready in the home. So I'm going to talk to you about at the end how you find your hospice uh, who will be, or your physician who will be on board for the VSET. But you want to have all your supplies, including a hospital bed, um, baby monitors, all those wonderful tools that make this process as easy as it can for people. And then caregiver family support. Um, this is going to be intense. This is 24-7. This is not something that one elderly caregiver or even one caregiver should be doing on their own. So we need the wonderful hospice support. We need extra caregivers 24 hours, seven days a week. And I usually set that up for a two-week period. If it's earlier than that, great. If not, then that's fine too. Then we're ready. Um, Back to some of the, the work that we need to do is even to the effect at, you know, what do we want for that time period of death ritual-wise? Who do we want to be there? How do we want that to look? We want to make this a supported, positive experience as much as we can. What's happening after that? Have we optioned um, a green burial or a natural burial or cremation? We want everything to be in place and we have the bonus that we know a time frame that that's going to happen. So we want to be able to have all of those things cared for so we can just be present with this process. Supporting the caregiver is huge. This is huge. They're saying goodbye to somebody they love. It's going to be hard watching them in this process. It is a natural process. Reminding them that, of that is critical. The parchedness, sometimes people will forget why they are not eating and drinking and maybe ask for something and to drink and, we, and eat, and we have to remind them why they're doing this because interrupting the flow of the process with a, a glass of water will prolong it tremendously. We can do that. They can break the. They can break this at any time, but we want to make sure that sometimes with that dehydration, your memory is a little up, back and forth. You want to make sure that we remind them in a supportive, beautiful way that why why we're doing the process, and, and that if we do have that, you can then moisten the mouth to give them that um, ease of the parchedness that they might just be looking for. So there's a lot of emotional things that go on here. So we want. Massive caregiver support on many fronts. What is the role of the death doula within this scenario? This is so important. This has to be crystal clear, black and white, what the role of the death doula is. From a legal standpoint, I am always going to be overly protective, overly um, emphasizing and making sure that things are black and white, that there's no gray areas to protect the death doula role. So death doulas are guides. We are educators in all of the options of end of life and answering questions for family. So the role of the death doula in the VSET process is the key to utilizing VSET, the key to utilizing the VSET successfully and having a peaceful experience is the presence of a pre-planned approach that is closely monitored and coupled coupled with round-the-clock support. Death doulas are 
Thoroughly trained in understanding the dying process and the symptoms associated with it can be a huge asset for monitoring a patient's condition while they are voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. The death doula may reassure the patient and loved ones that what they are seeing and experiencing is a natural process and offer on-site emotional support to everyone involved. Their knowledge in physical changes in the body will allow them to notify the primary doctor or hospice team of developments that require medical attention, especially the relief of pain, agitation, and discomfort. The death doula will not ever administer medications, but we, we understand that we can evaluate the family's knowledge and comfort level with understanding how to administer those medications properly because that's a huge key on that and if we notice that they don't know how to do that we have the hospice nurse come back and reteach that um, we will then walk the caregiver through um, all of the process of the end of life including to remind them how medications are super important at agitation and nonverbal cues for pain and again if we see that there's any gaps in their understanding, the hospice team needs to come back and reteach that, and we can offer suggestions for patient comfort through the process. So making sure that people are bathed and positioned and mouth lubricant on the tongue, in the mouth, um, teaching families about nonverbal cues for noticing if the patient is having agitation or pain, all throughout this process holding the space for them, reminding the family that this what they're seeing is a natural part of the end-of-life process and not to be afraid, and that knowledge alone can be so comforting to families. So V said again in the death doula role, the death doula would act as a trained professional to monitor the patient during the V said process with other caregivers when other caregivers are or are not present, filling in the time gaps between visits or when the primary caregiver needs a rest. We are guiding and making sure that everything is in place. Do you have your advanced directives? Are they legally binding? Did you put, you know, get them notarized? Get, we're gonna make sure that all of the things that are needed are put in place for this to actually be put into motion. So those categories we went through, legally, physically, emotionally, and um, for the caregiver support, that all of this is set up. We can't go backwards. Once this is put in motion, it's very hard to put, put things in place afterwards. So we're gonna educate on all that because some people don't understand how critical those components are to the visa process. So we will make sure and oversee that all of that is done and then oversee the process, that it's going well. This will ensure that the patient is having the most, and the family is having the most desirable experience possible, and that all acute issues are addressed so that a peaceful and painless death may be achieved. Um, there's one woman who will actually have on a podcast, Phyllis Schachter. And she is just a wonderful, I call her a little rock star, because she went through this process with her husband who had dementia and he wanted to choose Visa and he did. And it was well thought out. And she shares that process with everyone. And she and I and I wanted to grab this quote, and I will at some point, but I remember her saying that her husband, Alan, had said, I am so peaceful. I am so happy. This is such a good option, and I want you to tell people about this option. 
It's pretty powerful from somebody days into the visa process, sharing how peaceful <clears throat> and gentle this option was and wanting people to know about it for their own choice. So the doula role is to make sure that all of the prerequisites to go into a visa process have been put into place and met and then to make sure that the process is going well, that you have 24-7 caregivers, that the patient is in a state of not being in distress or in pain, that all the items needed for that process are in the home, that the hospice team or the doctor is on speed dial if you need them, that everything is going great. So that is the doula's role to oversee that and to educate on the process. So here, this is where you can find your local doctor or hospice that supports the VSED process. Compassionchoices.org is a wonderful website and organization that will answer your questions, um, give you materials, educate you on, again, VSED process, and find that medical provider in your area so that you can have that person support the V said, uh, you have to have a medical provider or a hot, and I love hospice, because 24 seven, they have wonderful caregivers, holistic model of care. Um, my first choice would be to have that hospice in your area uh, as part of your V said process. So you can find that hospice that would support you in your area by going to compassionatechoices.org, and they will guide you to the uh, doctor or hospice that is the closest to you that will support the V said experience. Okay, if you have any questions, please put them in the question box now. Um, I know this was a lot of information and it was new to some people. We're going to be again talking about this topic a lot more as it comes up. This is something new, but it's extremely important for you to understand that this is going to be something that if you are working in the end of life space, um, if you are having a end-of-life process with loved ones, this is something that will start to come up in conversation as an option, and especially if you are a death doula, to know what your role is and how you can be of the highest service to your patient and family with the VSED option. So let's see if there's any questions. I have answered a lot of the questions within the presentation that we did today that we got from, thank you very much, from emailing in. So right now there are no questions, so we are going to then say we will see you on the next Ask a Death Doula podcast. We will have them live either on Thursdays or on Fridays every week at 12 o'clock Eastern time, depending on schedules with teaching and, and traveling. It will be either on a Thursday or Friday, and we're going to post that up in our social media um, and we'll also tag that into the, um, the newsletter that we put out. But we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we will always be posting what week, uh, the day of the week that we're going to be doing the next podcast and what the topic will be if we have a topic. And so let me just see. Somebody had just put up something, but I don't see it. So if you have, if you want to put in a quick question before we sign off, you can. You can do that, and I'll be happy to answer it. Um, so again, we'll be posting it in our social media, on our Facebook pages, um, what the topic will be, but they'll always either be live on a Thursday or a Friday. Come and bring your questions, or you can you can email your questions in ahead of time um, to support at doulagivers.com 
www.thepowerofthenow.com and we'll address it on the webinar. Okay, so I have a question. What do you see as a doula's moral obligation if when a client nearing their end of life expresses thoughts, wishes that would be considered suicidal in other circumstances? Would you mention the visa option? Counsel them as best you can without mentioning it. Take other steps. Okay, thank you. So this is a great question. And I'm going to give you an example that happened to me. So I had um, my first visit with a patient who had ALS. So I came into the home and this man at this point had um, paralysis from his neck down. So he was in a wheelchair, he couldn't use his arms, he couldn't use his legs, totally dependent, but his mind was completely intact, really just very cruel. And on our, you know, building the trust, on our first visit, he said to me, when the time comes, I'll take care of it. So of course, that registered with, he's thinking of doing something to take his life. And so what I needed to do was get to a place with him quickly, building that trust and also understanding the fear or the rationale and reason why he wanted to take care of this, why he wanted to be in control of taking care of it. And again, it usually is a control thing. Well, as we know, some of these disease processes are, you know, again, you're totally dependent on people, but ALS in the latter process, how you actually die is that your diaphragm can't expand to get air in. So you literally suffocate from air. So knowing this, he's a very intelligent man. He was like, no way, I'm gonna take care of this and, and make sure that that doesn't happen. So what I wanted to do and did do with him was educate him again on the wonderful um, modalities that hospice has to support people with not suffering. Nobody ever has to suffer from pain or breathing issues when you have good symptom management. And so I shared with him how that would be managed from morphine, the liquid morphine when you have a little breathing issue, um, you know, difficulty, we start with a little bit, it will make your breathing easier, will come to a point in your ALS process that it will be harder and harder at that time, you will be given more medication that you will be in a sleep state. And from that sleep state, you will gently pass. While you're in that sleep state, we will be here supporting your wife, making sure that you are comfortable watching you so that you don't have to worry about anything. And he had a beautiful end of life experience. He did not have to feel that he had to do anything. It was getting under the hood of that car of that fear for him because I didn't want him to sit here every day thinking that he's going to have a terrible end of life outcome, which we know that ALS and many of these diseases can without great care and symptom management. However, it really depends on the variables. If you have somebody who might not be um, or overwhelmed with emotion, you really, you're, if you are a death doula, an end of life doula, you really need to immediately allow the nurse and the social worker from hospice know that your patient made an indication to this. Your job, however, is to ask them why they feel that that is the option that is on the table. And when you get in there, when you get under there, it's really always fear based and totally understandable. Don't want to suffer, don't want to be gasping for air, don't want to be in pain, don't want to be not dignified where people are, you know, I'm sitting there and I can't do anything and I'm being bathed and changed. 
let's explore, let's talk about these other options. So if you do have hospice in on your case, which I think you would, um, you need to let the social worker and the nurse know about this, but talk to your patient about your client, about what are the concerns that lead you to wanting to do that. Um, always reach out to us as well. I will say usually it's those components that we can address um, that make sense. And then, yes, you can explore these. Most people don't know about said So you can explore these options, but you want to make sure that nothing is done hasty on their part. You want to make sure that you're protecting that. Um, this is a prime example how building the trust with your patient, and that's what we talk about in your client in the first phase of our death doula training, our end of life doula training and doula givers, is building the trust. Because if you don't have a trusting relationship with your client, they're not gonna open their heart and share with you their inner fears. And this could be the answer to everything. So there are reasons why the training is done in a certain way and critically important to make sure you hit all those marks in the phases, building the trust. So if you have any, if you're working with anyone, you ever have questions, please let us know. Ask us on Facebook um, to contact you. We will, or you know, write into email. But again, this is really what I would do. I would let the hospice team know, and I'd also calmly get to the heart to heart of why the client thinks that that is the best option and why they want to choose it. Because we can usually circumvent it that way. I hope that answers your question. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. This was, again, Ask a Death Doula live. I'm so glad that you were here. Uh, we stand for free education for positive change. That's what Doula Givers does, and that's what this podcast, our goal is to supply an area where people can come on live, ask questions from all over the world, anything to do with end of life and to do with life and hope that together we can make that positive impact on the world individually and as a whole. So thank you so much, everyone. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. My name is Suzanne O'Brien, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.